So welcome back listeners to Inside the System. This is the last episode of this season, episode 19. It's the podcast style space where we deep dive into conversations with your favorite experts and creators. We explore the inner workings of their personal brands and businesses, uncovering valuable insights, strategies that you can use to elevate your own journey and get ready for an episode that combines years of experience, entrepreneurial wisdom, and a deep passion for knowledge sharing. Today, I am thrilled to introduce our guest, Craig Shoemaker, a true titan in the world of course creation, podcasting, and personal development. With an impressive career spanning 15 years, Craig has been at the forefront of publishing courses with a staggering $2 million plus in course sales, making him a true veteran in the industry. Throughout his journey, he has consistently demonstrated his unwavering commitment to empowering individuals to create their own six-figure courses, unlocking their potential for financial success and personal growth. But Craig's, Craig's expertise doesn't really stop here. He has been a prolific podcaster since 2005. He's the host of two popular podcasts, Leverage 3Pod and Web3 on WebRush. These platforms provide a valuable resource for listeners looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-evolving digital landscape. And in addition to his podcasting ventures, Craig is a published author in the web development space with his works from books to magazines and beyond the business world. Craig is also a family man with five children. And so in this episode, we're diving deep into the world of course creation and brand building, and we'll explore the secrets behind his remarkable success in generating substantial course sales and learn from his expertise in helping individuals develop profitable courses for their brands. So let's get right into this conversation. Craig, thank you for joining me here today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And with an intro like that, I'm, uh, I'm stunned. Like, thank you so much. I appreciate the warm welcome. Well, uh, man, uh, he, he told me so much as well. <laughs> I, had, I, had to, I had to go all in with this. <laughs> all right. So I want to start at the top and start the basic question, but you take it as where you want. Sure. And what makes a, a the information that you have course worthy? What makes something like worthy of making a course around it, a topic, information, anything? Yeah. Okay. So I, I think the best place to start is within your own experience. And basically when you look at the world around you, there's all kinds of problems that need to be solved. And the cool thing about a, a course or any sort of coaching or mentorship or whatever is you, you get to experience the benefit of essentially time compression. So you don't have to go through all of the, the hard knocks to figure something out. You don't have to make all the mistakes. You basically get this shortcut into a view of something that's worked well for someone. So when you're looking at yourself, you have to think, okay, well, what, what problems have I solved in the past? What questions I'm, am I able to, to answer for people? What do people come to me in order to, to help solve their problems for? And so that kind of gives you a, a chance to, to figure out where your starting point is. Because I think sometimes people are like, hey, there's so much money to be made in, in educational space. And there's so many opportunities to be had. I'll go out and I'll, I'll figure something out really good. And, and I'll publish a course on it. And I don't think that's the best way to go about it. I, I think it really starts within yourself with um, s solutions that you provided in the past and, and your ability to be able to reproduce success in others. And once you have something that meets that need, then you know you're ready to start thinking about a course. I think that's a great way to go about it. Definitely starting from your own experience. And I think sometimes we're not conscious of 
how we're helping people. We know we're helping them, we're providing them value, but we're not conscious of how we're doing it. So that's a great way to kind of underline what material to put in a course. Um, that actually comes up with a follow-up question. And I wanted to know, how do you validate these ideas uh, before con like going with publishing or um, as you're constructing, how do you know, maybe even in a way to not give a spoiler that you're building a course, how do you validate these ideas with your audience? Yeah, and that's that's a, the crucial step that some people miss, and and unfortunately, it's it doesn't always work out so well. So, I think there's there's two aspects to validation, and and to to the point of what you said of maybe not tipping your hand that you're building a course, I'd say like you you'd be even better off telling people, you know, this is a a product that, that I want to provide or a service that I want to provide. I want to teach you how to do this thing. You know, building in public really gives you an opportunity to turn on a, a faucet that may not be there otherwise. And so if you just kind of, you know, very plainly say, I'm, I'm, I would love to teach you how to achieve success in this area. You know, one of the best things that you can do is just go out and, and tell people what, what you're about to do and ask them if they're interested in it. Because, like I said, there's two aspects to, to validation. You want to validate the idea. And then you also want to validate the fact that you can reproduce results in other people. So the first part of that is you just start really simple. You start talking within your network. You start talking online. You start getting a feel for if this idea that you have, if this problem that you've solved in the past is something that's valuable to the market. And the, the approach that, that people often take with this is, is just go in with a really low fidelity type of a, either a coaching or a cohort type of thing, or even just one-on-one -on -one calls where you're, you're getting to know people at the spot that they're at and learning from their experience of what kind of, of problems that they need to be solved. And so you get this opportunity to present your information, but also look to get as much feedback from them as possible. Um, you, you know, it, it, we have this concept online of ab testing so you know you can say okay here's this idea i have here's here's how i want to present it you, you sort of lay out your framework you discuss how you want to solve these problems and then you can ask people well would it make more sense if i discussed it this way or if i explained it that way and so that really gives you an opportunity to to validate your ideas in in a very real-time way without spending a lot of money without burning a lot of time in order to make that happen but then the other side of that coin is then to be able to say okay well if you take this information that I've shared with you, show me how you can use it and help me understand how it's affected your life. You know, have you, have you been able to make more money with it? Have you been able to improve your relationships? Have you been able to um, hone in on this skill that I'm teaching? You know, whatever your course is about. And, and so once you, you kind of have those two sides of the coin, then you have a really clear picture of what people want and need and whether or not you're in a space where you can help other people besides yourself achieve that goal. I like that. And you talked about presenting information. So I wanted to know, how do you ensure the material is presented in a way that resonates with your audience and maximizes their learning outcomes since you're focused on how that, they're using that information afterwards? Yeah, I, I think it just comes down to establishing those relationships and, and having those conversations. Um, so what, one of the best things that I ever did when, when I was building a, a web development course was... Uh, they're having a day where, where parents could come in and, and talk to the kids at, at the elementary school. I think my someone was in like fourth or fifth grade or something like that. And I'm like, okay, well, 
they want me to talk about computer programming. And I'm like, well, how am I going to be able to express the, the fundamental concepts of computer programming to a, a 50 year old class? Right. <laughs> so I just bought some props. I, I bought one of those happy birthday uh, signs that you string up on the wall. And I, I brought that into class and I was like, okay, well, this is a string. This is a series of characters that are strung together and in computer programming, we call that a string. And I brought in an empty box and I was like, okay, well, a variable is a container that you just put stuff in like this empty box. And so going through this process really forced me to figure out ways to explain things and package up my knowledge and expertise in a way that it's, it's replicable to other people. And, and the thing about building a course is that you, you have the opportunity, you, you get this, this chance to be able to reach people that come to you from all different sets of skill levels, life experience. And so when you spend time thinking about how do I package up what I know in a way that people can, can embrace it and take it and really understand it, um, that, that, that was kind of the difference between having a good course and having a great course um, within, within my journey. And that only comes from spending time uh, with people and sort of asking them, okay, I explained it this way. Does that make sense to you? And, and these calls are, are really important too, because it gives you an opportunity to, you know, look at facial expressions and look at body language. So sometimes people might, might not pipe up and say, I don't, I don't get it, but <laughs> you get that look on their face and you're like, okay, I need to go a different route in order to make this happen. So it really comes down to knowing who you're serving and establishing those relationships early. And you don't have to do it with a ton of people, but it, it's important to do it with actual people. That is super interesting because I, I, I don't know if there's a name for this. Um, I'm sure there is. But when you're like an expert in a field, sometimes you think, oh, this is straightforward. This is easy. I've explained <laughs> it this way. And then you, when you come to realize later on, even if people leave you like five-star reviews, um, they never really got that information the way they wanted. Or they, but they don't really have the time to go out of their way to tell you that as well. So they'll say, yeah, that's good. That's good. The content's good. But really they never took grasp of the information. So I like the way you approached it here. Yeah. It's the, it's the curse of knowledge. Like doing the one-to-ones. Yeah. You, you know what you know. And sometimes it comes across as being like common sense or everybody should know this, but chances are everyone doesn't know it. And so giving yourself an opportunity and creating space to get that feedback uh, can help out a lot. So before we dive into, I, I do want to dive into the structure of a course uh, and like what you found from your uh, research and understanding and working with people, that is the best way to lay out a course in general. Um, there, there's something that's weird that I've been noticing and a lot of courses, especially from the creator economy, are just curations of like content that they've been posting uh, randomly maybe over a year. And they package that up into a course. And I was wondering, what's your thoughts on this? And do you recommend this approach or do you recommend a different approach? I think it, it depends on who you're serving and, and what you're trying to accomplish. So I like to look at it this way. If you, your market is in public, it, it's in the public, right? So if you're not uh, posting on social media, if you're not talking to people, if you're not doing things in public, again, to validate those ideas, to establish those relationships and get that feedback, then there's a good chance that you're, if, if you go ahead and just create a course, it's, it's, it's all going to be off base, right? So I, I think that's, that's a crucial aspect to the process. 
Now, if let, let's take it to, to the extreme. Let's say someone's just really lazy and they say, okay, well, I have these <laughs> 20 tweet threads that uh, responded really well to people, resonated with people. And so now I'm just going to like literally take that thing and, and put it into a, a more written form and maybe record some videos and call that a course. Like that's just, that's lazy, right? But what you should be doing is using these as, as signals to, to find out what resonates with the people whom you're trying to serve. And that information, obviously you wouldn't want to abandon with, uh, with your course because you know that that's something that people need and people want. So I would say that's your testing ground. You want to figure out what direction that you're headed in order to do that, but then take it and, and add obviously much more to your course and, um, you know, as far as how you structure things and what you put in, that, that varies widely depending on what you're trying to teach. But I would hone in on, on, on three different things for people to think about. You've got your core message. You've got bonus material that you'll provide. And then you always want to hold something back. You want to have that surprise, right? And so when, when you're thinking about your core message, take the identify the starting point of the person that you want to work with. So for me, working with someone who's interested in building a course, but doesn't really know what their course topic is going to be and doesn't have any real experience in a certain area and doesn't have any established authority. Like that's not the best place for me to have the most impact when I'm working with someone. And so I want to work with people who have a, you know, established expertise. They have a track record behind them. They know exactly what they want to build their course on. They just need help along that journey. And so when you pick your starting point and then pick what the desired outcome is going to be, the place where people are going to end up after they're done going through your course, then that gives you a place to say, okay, well, now I know my critical path. In order to get from point A to point B, you have to do step A, B, C, D, and F all along the way. So you got to figure out what areas... Uh, people have to cover and have to achieve in order to, to make that point and anything that they can skip or anything that they don't need to do, take that out of the, out of, out of your core path. Because I'll tell you, I, I uh, got into a course like last year, maybe it was two years ago. I don't, I haven't finished it yet. It's, there's so much information in it. It's just like hours and hours of course material. And I'm motivated to learn what's in here, but there's just no way I'm going to get through it because there's so much stuff. So what you want to be able to do in terms of structure is figure out what exactly people need to do in order to achieve the result that they're getting. That will be your core message. Then you can lay on case studies. You can lay, layer on examples. You can layer on application. You can layer on showing people how to do things on top of just what to do as well. And then you have that opportunity to provide that information as bonus material or ancillary material that they don't need to necessarily go through in order to get to the desired outcome. And then that last piece I mentioned, we just saw recently someone do this brilliantly. Kieran Drew released his um, high impact writing course and you get it. And then like two days later, the guy sends you an email. Hey, by the way, I have this other mini course that's available to you. You know, come check it out. It'll show you how to increase, you know, improve your writing even better. And doing that just does something very, very special in the mind of your customer. Because they bought your course in order to achieve this goal. And then here you are adding an increased value of something you didn't even mention, something you didn't even tell them about. And now all of a sudden, they're in love with you. <laughs> because you've been able to over-deliver and provide so much value 
And all of that affects how you structure your course. I love this. I love the way you broke it down. And firstly, the, the trick that uh, Kieran drew, uh, done here is a pretty good one. I, I really like that. Everyone likes surprises. So that's a really good way to increase the li lifetime value and trust loyalty as well within your uh, audience. The core message thing is an interesting thing to me as well. And it's because many people think they're just packaging a lot of information and bonuses and stacking them up is useful. But the point that you made that like you never got through the course. Um, it, it, I've had that situation where I just never finished certain courses because of that. So do you advise to focus on like one pain point? If, if you have like, let's say five pain points identified, would you make like one pain point around one specific course? Uh, so one course around one specific pain point, uh, or would you couple them and make a course around the entire thing? Maybe. I, it really just kind of depends on, on like who your market is, what you're trying to achieve and, and what you're like to, to make blanket statements about, uh, you know, courses in any context is, is tough. I, I guess what I would say is, you, you want to solve the burning pain first because there, there, there's two different aspects to, to building things. Like people will come to you in order to learn a skill and you want to deliver on that. You want to fulfill that promise. So you, you teach them how to do the thing that they came to you for, but oftentimes there's, there's the underlying need that they have that you need to address as well. Right? So maybe I'm uh I want to learn how to be a, a copywriter, right? But really what I want to do is learn how to build a business based off of, of how I'm, uh, of this new skill I'm trying to learn, right? So you want to think about how you're addressing those pain points and, and hitting at not just the, the thing that they're coming to you for, but also what's the, the underlying problem that they're, they're trying to solve. And so maybe you have to solve a few different problems within a single course in order to make that happen and be successful at it. Um, but yeah, it, unfortunately, it just kind of depends on, on the context in which you're working within. Thank you for outlining that. And that, there's another question that I had in mind, and is the decision between what content should be free from your course and what should be behind um, a paywall, basically? How do you determine? whether what information should go out and what shouldn't so i i, I want to answer that but i want to i know you wanted to talk about pricing um and so let, let's address that first and, and then we'll back our way into um how that should work okay so sure, yeah sure thing go for in, it. in terms of, of how to like there's there's as many different ways to figure out pricing as there are hairs on our head right and and so again it, it's all context-based but in general, there's a couple frameworks that you can think about. So you have value-based pricing, and then you have opportunity cost-based pricing. And people who do this really well tend to blend the two together, right? So if you're, you're building a course and, and you want to be able to establish what it's worth to a, a, a customer, you basically make the case that, you know, if you learn this thing, if you go through this program, this is the value that is going to be added to your life. You will be able to do you know, X, Y, Z, you'll understand these principles, given these skills, you should be able to, to go on and, you know, earn, earn an income doing uh, a certain thing. Like it's a lot easier if you're dealing with a course that has an income producing skill 
because then, you know, you can't guarantee any results. Obviously it's always up to the person taking the course to, to put in the work and, and to, to make it happen for themselves. But, you know, if you're teaching a sales technique, you could say that you'll be able to close more leads by applying these results. And so you can make a case to, to your, your client to be able to say, within this course is, is a tremendous amount of value that allows you to be able to have a dream outcome um, that, that gives you something that you don't have now. And how do you quantify that? And, and what's the, the best way that you can help people understand and, and realize what they're going to get out of it? On the other side of that is you have the opportunity cost uh, idea where you say, okay, well, if you don't take this course, here's what you're missing out on. Um, you know, in order to, to understand all the things that, that we're providing with this, within this program, you know, maybe you'd have to do, I don't know, 3000 hours of research or, you know, a uh, thousand hours of customer calls or, you know, whatever it takes in order for you as the course creator to get to the point to where you're at in order to speak with authority, that's what, that's the opportunity cost that someone can forego by making, by taking your course. And so within that context, you have an opportunity to say, okay, well, I'm going to provide value to you along the way in a, in a number of different ways. And some of that will be free. Maybe some of that will be low ticket. Perhaps some of that will be a, a higher ticket um, course, or maybe that would even lead into your, uh, like a consulting type of type of situation. And so when we start looking at this, we're, we're kind of seeing the value ladder emerge. And so I, it often depends on the amount of authority that you have available to you, uh, within the market. So, um, Nick Huber, sweaty startup, he has courses available on his website, for $2,500 a pop. I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen him talk about them. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen him tweet about them, but I'm sure that he sells a tremendous amount of courses. He doesn't need to give anything away for free. <laughs> he doesn't need to do that because he has this established authority. Uh, other people, mere mortals like myself, would probably need to be in, in an opportunity to where, say, okay, well, I'm going to give you a certain amount of this course and allow you to uh, understand and achieve success in, in, in smaller ways and then bring you up that value ladder in order to, to put you into the spots where you're getting the full information. So I hate to say it again, it's context, context dependent, but there's a lot of different options that we have available to you. And oftentimes it's positioned based off of how you're handling your pricing. Thank you for the breakdown, uh, Craig. There's another thing you talked about, and I remember one of your threads, I believe, or a post, and it was elements that you can use or integrate into your course to enhance the learning experience. Uh, so that comes as part of the structure. You gave examples like interactive content, worksheets. So I wanted to give you the floor so you can expand on that a little more. Sure. And so there, depending on uh, what, what you're teaching, being able to put in the reps and, and getting practice in, in what you're doing can make or break your ability to be able to, to, to learn the, the information, right? I, I'm working with um, uh, Jess Moda right now. She is uh, building a, a course that teach people, teaches people how to do appointment setting. And this is such an incredible uh, experience that, that her students are going through in order to have the opportunity to learn how to handle the sales process within 
a, a DM, uh, you know, uh, direct message type of interaction. And so you have to learn how to deal with objections. You have to learn how to deal with uh, people who, who want to take control of the situation. So she, she teaches this, this concept of, of keeping the frame um, during these interactions. Now, if you just watched the course and, and learned the principles of that, that would be great. And you would be a lot further along than you were you know, today, perhaps, than you were yesterday. But what she integrates into that system is the ability for people to do like mock um, interactions with her and give her the opportunity to, to actually try out these skills. And, and she's got enough experience that she knows, okay, well, here's the curveball that you're going to get thrown at you. Like someone's going to say something really weird. How, how are you going to respond to that? And so in these, these mock interactions, she can do that. And so if, if you have a course that, that would help out people to, to learn a skill and, and really doing the thing is, is what's going to be part of the, the success factor, you can add in these elements where they're perhaps closer to you as the course creator and give them an opportunity to, to hone those skills and, and work through them. Um, I, I think, you may have been thinking about um, a post I put up in response to uh, uh, Kevin Chung's uh, uh, idea for, for other ways to add interactivity. And, and, and some of the ideas I, I pulled out too were, you know, you could do a teach the teacher. So let's say people take your course, well, give them an opportunity to uh, present on a certain lesson that they learned in the course and provide that back to the instructor and give you an opportunity to critique it. Because oftentimes the best way we're going to learn a skill is when we're given an opportunity to try and teach it to someone else. Um, trying to think off the top of my head what other ones that, that we pulled out. Um, but, oh, peer reviews. So perhaps you have a writing course or you have some sort of, of course that allows people to, to create something new, particularly if it's in the public. You can host an opportunity to, you know, you can anonymize the, the, the thing that you're looking at, but give people to, a chance to come around and, and look at the work and, and apply the skills that they've learned in context uh, of your course and, and, and everybody can learn from that. I've done this many times in a, in a technical writing type of situation and every single time, no matter how much experience I've had in a certain area, when you get that feedback from other people, it always makes you better. Um, so yeah, in, any way that you can have an opportunity to bring people in and allow them to use the skills and techniques that you've taught them I think that's all the better. Nah, I, I love the examples you gave. I, I don't see them, to be fair, with the, some of the courses that are around here and, you know, mock interview interactions. And I know it's going to be contextual depending on what your course is about, the peer reviews, teach the teacher, the, all these kind of things I can just imagine um, uh, honing in on that loyalty with your customers, uh, building trust and giving them confidence as well. Uh, because the moment they don't know that information, you can uh, solidify it so that your the, the perceived value, possibly even the actual value, is increased and making sure they don't walk away with a bad experience. So I really like the examples you've given here. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and it's tough because, you know, a lot of that stuff doesn't scale. So you, you have to figure out, you know, where's the sweet spot, right? Um, and so oftentimes maybe some of the really deep interaction pieces might be a part of a more premium experience that, that you provide for people. But nevertheless, if, if you figure out a way to, to make it work at scale, everybody's better off for, uh, for it. I like that. So we talked about constructing your course, the structure so far, and now you have the course ready and we talked about the price point uh, on it. Uh, you want to promote it and 
I know that's more of a marketing thing, but I'm still curious to hear how you would go about uh, promoting a course with your audience and maybe even what are unconventional or overlooked marketing strategies that you found effective when it comes to promoting courses, such as uh, something you talked about or you hinted about earlier, giving away like a piece of the module if you don't have that authority. Yeah, I mean, I would just, I would come to you and I'd say, V, just tell everybody to buy my course and then I could just, you know, check out for the rest of the day. <laughs> so, I, like, I like how you kept it simple. <laughs> right? You got to keep it simple. Um, yeah, so it, the, the thing about promotion is oftentimes it comes down to a conversation. So we have this entire separate journey uh, uh, apart from the customer journey where someone is going from completely unknown to you to the point to where they have their credit card in their hand and, and, and you know, they're going to press that buy button. And so uh, alluding uh, back a little bit to, to what we were talking about with the idea validation phase is when you have an opportunity to, to get yourself in front of your market early and often and, and be able to tell them, you know, this is what I'm working on. This is the value that I'm, I'm looking to provide to you. And here's the ways I'm going to do it. And you invite that conversation to come back to you so that you get feedback, so that you understand, you know, in, even independent of, of the, the concept validation of the course, but just bringing in people into the conversation of, of knowing, like, I, I have this offer that, that's available or more likely is soon to be available you know, are you interested in it? Is this something that you would want? Um, and in that conversation, you have an opportunity to give people uh, a chance to interact with you and a chance to, to understand that you are an authority on this topic and an opportunity to, to see how that you can fulfill your promises, uh, an opportunity to, to, to help you build trust with people who don't know you. Getting money off of people off the internet is, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, we're all wary of, of, of doing that, and, and we should be. We should be for good reason. So in looking at course promotion, it's, it's a conversation that you want to have with your market. It's something that you want to do on a continual basis, but you also want to be strategic about how you approach it so that you're creating anticipation for people and you're giving them the opportunity to know, okay, I have something coming up. I'm going to be making it available to you. And one of the key things that you want to do is, you know, if we think about that, that faucet, is you want to be able to turn it on and turn it off. So just having a course available at all times, at any time, is great. And if you have a, a marketing situation and, and you have uh, the ability to make that available and it, and it performs for you, that's awesome. But oftentimes what we see is that people do really well in trying to control that message a little more, in creating the conversation, creating anticipation, making the course available, and then bringing it down so that you have an opportunity to really provide an exceptional level of service for the people who have, provided your, who have bought your course. You're able to focus on them and then go through this process at different times. Um, and so that aspect of uh, anticipation and also there being a chance to where you may miss out on something can be really powerful when you come to market. That leads me to another question when it comes to promoting course and monetization in that area. Do you advise upselling uh, people who have bought your course with more material 
um, do they feel like that you're trying to rinse their wallet? Have you found like data telling you otherwise, like, okay, uh, upsetting is a good idea here. Um, not just into coaching because that would make sense in that funnel, but other things like another course, let's say, or another product. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of data out there that, that demonstrates that upselling is, is an incredible way to uh, improve your profit margins, right? And so that just comes down to, well, what, what kind of person are you? Like, I, I bought a course one time, I got the upsell, and it was like, a, I don't know if I didn't read the fine print well enough or whatever, but it was like a checklist. And it was, you know, some extra stuff. It is cool, but it wasn't really compelling and probably wasn't worth it you know, the money or the, or the time or even the effort. And so, you know, it, it's one of these things to where it's upselling is a tool. And if you want to use it and be a tool while you're using that tool, that's probably a bad idea. And so it, it comes down to what value can you provide for people and what sort of impact can you make in their lives? And if you give them that opportunity to be able to add in something at that time of checkout that actually is valuable, then I think that's a great idea. Um, Jeff Walker in his book, uh, the launch talks about the mom test, which I think is, is brilliant. So if, if you're creating anything in your offer, but particularly an upsell, if you wouldn't want someone to sell this to your dear mother when she's buying something, or if she was your dream client, then don't do it. Um, so it, it, it just really comes down to whatever you offer and anything that you bring to market is going to be a reflection of your brand. And, you know, my dad told me anything that you do, put your name on it. Right. And so if, if you're actually going to exist in a marketplace where you use your real name and most of us do, if whatever you tie to, to your offers, a tie to your brand will stick with you. That's what people will know you of. So if you're going to do it, do it right. I like that thinking and approach. Um, before we move on to maintaining the course, I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you wanted to expand upon or any thoughts uh, with promoting the course, pricing, anything at all. Um, because I know maintaining the course and post sales is probably the most important part and neglected, actually. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm looking at my notes a little bit. Um, when we talk about price, one of the things that it's it's really important to keep in mind is that what you what you want to be able to do is to put yourself at a price that makes sense obviously for the customer and makes sense for you you know gives you margins that you're able to to use and, and grow your business and, and continue to make it worth it for you to, to do it but also think in terms of multiples right so if if i i price a course let's just use a hundred bucks for, for easy uh, examples. Like when someone goes through my program for a hundred dollars, I would hope that the value that I've added to their life is a thousand dollars or more. Right. Because the last thing that we want to be able to do is, is for people to get through anything that we've created and, and be at a point where they're like, well, I mean, I guess I could have figured that out on my own or, you know, it, it didn't really get too much value out of it. And, and so, this speaks to kind of what I was saying in terms of branding and also over delivering and giving people an incredible customer experience so that when they go through your course, they may not understand every aspect of it. They probably won't use everything that you've given into them, but hopefully it's apparent to them and it's, it's just easy for them to be able to see 
that the value that you've created in, in what you've put into market is, you know, vastly outweighs the, the investment that they put in. And when we talk in terms of investment, there's two different sides to that too. There's people parting with their hard-earned money in order to purchase your course, but then there's also the time that it takes in order to, to, to uh, you know, go through the program. I have five kids, <laughs> and I can tell you that if I spend time doing something, I have to be really strategic about doing that because any time that I spend not going through or any time I spend going through a course either means I'm not sleeping or I'm not spending time with my family. So it, it really needs to bring a lot of value in my life in order for me to be able to do that. And so it, it helps to, to do that mental math as you're, you're figuring out what you want to provide um, because there's just real people with real lives, with real money on the line in order to, to make that happen. Thank you uh, for expanding on that. And I think that's a very good point as well. If you definitely know your market um, and if they are people with families, then it, it, it's a good way to determine how long, how lengthy the course should be, mm -hmm. as opposed to just jamming everything together and giving people 60 hours worth of content they have to exactly. dig through and not go through at all. Exactly. Well, and, and one of the other things I wanted to mention too, on, on I guess we're going to talk about, uh, you know, post uh, launch here in a second, but, you know, not everybody's going to finish your course. And I'm even, I guess I'm at the mind at this point that that's, that's probably even a good thing because hopefully it falls into the bucket that you provided enough value with whatever they've gone through that they've just taken what you've, you've taught them and now they're running with it. Right. So there's, there's just a million different reasons that someone won't finish their course. I mean, certainly there's illness, um, there's life circumstance, there's new opportunities, but there's also that aspect that you've given, you've answered the question that needed to be answered, and now people are taking that and using it. And so, um, yeah, it, there's just so many aspects that come into uh, how people interface with you, your information and the value you provide to their lives and um, how much of your course they're going to consume. I love your, your approach to all of this, Craig. It's a... Uh... It's giving me different thoughts to the way I want to go about creating my own course uh, as well. And it takes away from that whole, okay, I need to make money out of this. But you're honed in on thinking about your ideal um, user or client that's going to use this, uh, buy this course and how they feel and making sure that you're producing the most value for them. Yeah, awesome. I'm, just, I'm delighted to hear you say that. So let's go into... Uh, post sales meeting. So you secure the reviews, you made the sales, what happens next? And should you update your course? And what does the customer journey look like? There's a lot there. But yeah. I'll go back if you need to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the best courses are the ones who don't get updated for 30 years because that means that they are providing eternal value. And of course, I'm joking about that. Um, but you know, the, one of the things that, that frustrated me about building courses in, in the technology space was the fast, they, fact that they go obsolete so quickly. And that's what drew me to want to get in the space to where I uh, help people build courses because that's more of an evergreen type of skill to, to be able to, to, to teach and, and, and work within. But obviously, times change, trends change, technology changes, and you want to keep up with all that because the last thing you want someone to do is to purchase your course and, and think like, oh my gosh, like this thing is just like, you know, the, the 
camera's all off and the lighting's bad, like you couldn't have done anything. So recency and freshness and, and keeping things updated is certainly um, something that, that should be in the forefront of your mind. But that also is going to be a business decision for you, right? Because re-recording a course or reproducing a course that when you were talking about audio and video is expensive. And so it, there's, there's going to be calculus that you'll have to do to say, okay, well, if my customers are, are getting the result that they need um, on the ver current version of the course, then, you know, then I need to figure out the right time to update it. <clears throat> if you're working within information that tends to move fast, goes out of date quickly, then what you're signing yourself up for is the opportunity to continue to provide value to your customers by updating the course. That's also another business decision for you. So do you update the course within their current ownership or subscription or whatever, or do you create a new version of the course to where you have the, the you know, new information available to you? And that's going to depend on, on who your market is and, and how you position your course and, and what makes the most sense to people. And I've certainly seen it done both ways. And sometimes it just makes more sense to create a new course based off of all the new information that's available. Like we're going to see a lot of these AI courses do one of these two things. They're either going to continue to update streamlined or they'll come out with new versions of these courses because stuff is just moving way too fast. So Ultimately, it comes down to a, a business decision of what makes the most sense for your customers based off of the opportunities that you have available to you. Um, so what was the, going back to what was the other parts of the question that you were asking there? Uh, so if, if anything to do with the customer journey post. Gotcha, okay. Um, yeah, post sale. So one of the questions that you should be asking yourself all the way through your course is, what is the next problem that needs to be solved? Because here's the thing, as a course creator, we think we're solving problems, but if you're doing your job right, what you're really doing is causing more problems. So let me give you an example of, of kind of what I'm talking about. So uh, when I was, a, I, I was a kid, I was a, a punk skater and I, I would skate out in front of uh, the, the house all the time and I would just constantly break sprinklers. And so my dad would be like, okay, you got to go down to Home Depot and you got to get the, you know, the parts to replace it. And so I'd skateboard down and I'd get the, you know, whatever little tube thing I needed to, to fix the sprinkler. And I'd come back home and I'd realize, okay, well now I need that tool that takes out the broken piece in order to get that out. So I'd go back to Home Depot and I'd get that thing. And I'd come back and I'd realize, oh man, now I need the special tape or glue or whatever to put everything together. Right? So every time I had a solution to the problem, I realized what I really have is a, another challenge. Now, there's a very good case to be made that 13-year-old uh, Craig should have thought through the problem better. But I, I share this to illustrate the point that as you're teaching people and as you're providing solutions, what that's going to do is unlock to them a new reality. They're going to be able to see things in a way that they haven't seen them before. And now they're going to have new questions and they're going to have new problems and new challenges that they need to overcome. Some of those things should probably be dealt with in the context of your course. So maybe you add in extra bonus materials that allow them to, to overcome these challenges. But within that customer journey, then it's going to reveal to you, okay, well, the next logical step for people to go is this thing. So maybe in that customer journey, that's another course that we have available to them, right? So that's one aspect of it. But also, as you're building your course, you should be, have a clear understanding that, okay, now once I've gotten people to this point, their next, next main challenge is going to be this. 
And that creates this cycle of creating a, or providing a solution and creating a new problem. So you have to ask yourself, when someone's purchased my course, they've gone through everything, what's the next logical thing that they need to provide or they need at that point? And then how can I fulfill that need? And so perhaps it's more uh, information included in it. Perhaps it's another course. It all affects the customer journey. That, and in, the, in that, in that uh, cycle, you're actually keeping them returning and increasing your customer, um, your, your revenue, the lifetime value of the customer. So I really like the approach. And you don't have to keep second guessing, okay, what should I, what value should I bring next? You can basically just keep creating the next logical step right. as far as can be. Uh, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. There. No, yeah, you're, you're spot on. Collecting feedback post-course, how important is that? And I know some people will just say something like, okay, reviews, but like how, how important, like how deep should you go with collecting feedback? What's your approach to that? And how do you use that information? So feedback is like, it's like a present on Christmas day. And I would say feedback that's a present on Christmas day and you open it up and it's actually uh, a box of knives. That's not, not wrapped up well. And you accidentally cut your finger on it is even better. And the reason I'm saying that is because you, you want to have clarity as to whether or not your program is working or not for people. And so by engaging with people post sales in, in a really deep and meaningful way. And again, this doesn't scale. You have to pick certain people, you know, it, it if you, kind of take a sample and you say, okay, well, these are the bright spots of people who seem to really, really be using this and, and working well with it. How can I connect with them? How can I work with them in order to figure out what clicked for them and what really made it happen? But the people who aren't getting it and the people who aren't succeeding, and again, there's a million different ways because when you create a course, it's not, the outcome is not dependent upon you. Your job is to provide the information and give all the tools, all the resources, everything someone needs to succeed. And life circumstances and all kinds of reasons may introduce a reason of why someone might, might fail, but there's always that chance that you're not hitting the nail on the head when it comes to your messaging, your packaging, and your customer journey. So finding those people who are struggling, finding those people who are having a difficult time with it, even if they're angry, if you can, if you can talk to them and sit with them one-on-one -on -one and really try and understand that piece of it. This really is gold, even if it hurts, because it gives you an opportunity, again, to see clearly of the things that aren't initially apparent to you. And so if you can identify that broad spectrum of the people who are struggling, are doing well, are kind of in the middle, and you get that feedback, then you want to ruthlessly apply it to your content. So you want to be able to say, okay, I love this piece. I, I think my string metaphor is brilliant because I think everything I say and do is brilliant, right? Well, it's not. So being able to take that feedback and, and, and with clear eyes, apply it to what you're, you're doing, it helps serve your customers better, but it also just gives you a much better program to work off of. And that's just a really important step because it doesn't, it doesn't end at the sale. Really, that's the beginning. You're creating a relationship with someone. They've, They've given you the biggest compliment they can in the world. They've, they've shared their payment information with you. Like they're trusting a stranger on the internet <laughs> with their money. That's the beginning of a relationship. That's not where you 
check out and say, all right, I'll, I'll see you later. This was, this was great. So that feedback applied ruthlessly to your program is a huge gift. Of this uh, breakdown. Great. Um, um, anything else you want to talk about when it comes to enhancing the customer experience, like post-course completion? You've actually delved into a lot of details. So, um, but I thought I'd ask that anyway, in case there's anything missing that you want to add. I, I kind of touched on it before, but in, in terms of metrics, you know, uh, course completion rates are important. Like we want to pay attention to that, right? We, we want to know, are, are people watching it? Are they getting through it? Um, but really getting an opportunity to track who's using it and the successes that they're having and being able to, to have a deep understanding of that, like that's even better in terms of, you know, cool, people bought your course, that's great. A lot of people have watched it, that's awesome. But how are they using it and what successes are they realizing in their lives? That's an even better metric, metric to track. Said Craig, I was thinking about something else. And do you, um, have you ever seen this or have you thought about this? Creating some sort of assessment sheet uh, with each module so you can assess how good that module was and if it delivered the information that you want to deliver to the um, audience or the client or the customer. Yes. Um, as someone who takes courses, sometimes I find them annoying. So it, it's really important that you're, you're very strategic about what you ask because you just don't want it to take a long time. Again, it comes down to this calculus of, of how am I spending my time? So I, I went through the course material. I'm, I'm getting results out of it. I really like it. And it's important that we get feedback. We, we need to understand how this, this is working for people. But as long as it's not something that takes me as, a, as the person taking the course a lot of time or a concerted amount of effort to, to do, um, I think that's the important part because otherwise people will just opt out of it or they'll get halfway through it and, and they'll, you know, they'll leave it. Um, and so th th that can be very effective. But also, again, looking for the bright spots, looking for the people who, who've done, uh, have succeeded or failed within your course. If you have the opportunity to, to meet with some of these people and, and hear directly from them, you know, you can offer them the ability to ask you, you know, questions. You could turn it into like a mini consulting call or something like that. So they're getting value out of it as well. Um, so certainly those data points are easy to or are good to have. But I'd say sometimes they're hard to, to get because the motivation for someone to go through it may not be there in order to provide that information back to you. Thank you for expanding on that, Craig. I appreciate that. Um, there was another thing we touched upon it earlier, uh, but I want to talk more in a practical sense. How can you design the course to cater for different like learning paths? Of course, you can't personalize it for every single individual, uh, but most courses I'll see is something along the lines, just video, uh, from you know a couple of videos in module one, a couple of videos in module two, and that's it. But I wondered if there's different things you've realized after building so many courses that you can have in place to cater for other people and their style of learning. Yeah, so it's interesting. There's, there's a couple of different things that you can do here. One of the ideas that I haven't done yet, but I've been toying around with is uh, the, the one-hour summary, right? So you have a program that's, I don't know, two, three, four, whatever hours, but... Um, maybe there's a, a video that you provide that says, okay, high level, here's all the stuff that you need to know about this course. You know, you can watch this within 30 minutes or within an hour. 
within an hour and, and you get through that. And, it, you know, it's not in depth. It doesn't teach everything, but it gives you the opportunity to have a really good overview and provide some real value within a short period of time. You could have that available. You can also look at the, you know, the different personas of people within your, within your uh, audience and say, okay, well, let's say I have these people who are more interested in, in management and these people are more interested in tactics. All the course uh, information is the same, but here I have been listed the lessons in a different order. Um, and you know, maybe there's a few things that are a little different for this people and they can go through that track. And then, you know, the other track is available again, in a little bit of a scrambled order, maybe you have um, some pieces that aren't included in the other thing. So you're not creating a lot of extra work for yourself, but what you're doing is you're giving yourself an opportunity to organize things in a way that makes sense as people uh, approach your information. And that can be really powerful because then, like you're saying, you, you can't customize it for a specific person, but they can walk into your course and they can see themselves in this part of the program. Okay, that is for me. I'm going to take that path. Interesting uh, methods. Uh, I like it. Something different uh, to what, what I see regularly. Here's something else. You mentioned that your your course should be focused on um, the specific need that that user has come through for, right? And I wanted to know when you're constructing your course, right? How are you? Do you have a method where you're cutting down on the detailed information that you provided? Uh, and not overwhelming like your learners with excessive content that, or unnecessary content in the course. Is there an approach to the way you do this? Yeah. So let me, let me back it up one, one step before that. So when you're looking at wanting to build your course, like e everything is fair game at that point. So what, what I like to ask people to do is sit down, set a timer for 10 minutes. You're just going to brain dump. You're going to keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. If you don't know what to write, start writing song lyrics. Just keep going. Get everything you possibly can out. Then once you have that, you can kind of take a step back and, and you can be a lot more strategic at that point. You can say, okay, well, where are the categories of information? How does this fall into place? Okay. So then you're building buckets. And then once you have that bucket, those buckets of information, then at that point, you need to to work within clarity to really understand who you're working with and what they're trying to achieve. And you, and you have to ask yourself, is, is this lesson, is this point I'm trying to make, does it do two things? Number one, does it fit within the logical flow of what I'm trying to teach? And does it move people forward? So sometimes it fits within the logical flow and it, it's important, like it adds context, it adds nuance and it helps, but it doesn't move people forward. So you kind of have to think almost like a, a story writer or a script writer, you know, you, you have to get to the payoff of, of the story. And if it doesn't move the story forward, you have to take it out. Now that doesn't mean you take it out and throw it away, but maybe what that does is get moves down into a, a bonus section to where if people want, they can go through and, and, uh, you know, dive into that content and, and, and get the context that they have there. And so you just keep going through this process of, of refining, clarifying, and then once you take this and expose it to real people, you'll have that, <laughs> you will have that time where you will have that look on their face and they're just like, I don't even get what you're talking about because maybe you cut a little too deep. And so then you can go and add some of that back in. But ultimately the question you need to ask yourself is, is this moving someone forward 
And if not, then consider taking it out. And to follow up with that, um, as part of the structure of how the information and the course, do you have gamification elements uh, in the course itself? And like, when I say gamification uh, elements, the purpose of them is to kind of maintain the le learner's motivation, keep the dopamine levels high, and like prevent dropouts, even though I know you mentioned earlier that dropping out is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I don't have any in the courses that I have published at the moment, um, but that that's certainly like I, I'm in ship 30 at the moment and uh, uh, Dickie and Cole have done an incredible job of building in gamification uh, to, to their course and their program. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a ridiculous amount of, of data and even anecdotal knowledge that we all know that by getting those small rewards, it helps move people forward. And so sometimes those small rewards, even if they're not like technologically built into your course, one of the things I like to, I have this, a table that I put at the top of, of the page every time I'm building a module and it's, um, you know, what's the purpose of the course? Um, what's the elevator pitch of the course? What's the uh, person getting out of it? What's the story I want to tell? And what's the, the, the smallest win or the first win that they can get? And so even in that context of being able to provide people an opportunity to, to get those small wins, that's not technically gamification, but it is that, that feedback loop of saying, you've achieved something, you've done something, what we're doing here together is, is a positive thing in your life. You get that positive reinforcement and then they want to continue on. That reminds me of, uh, you know, that strategy that you mentioned, it reminds me of how certain games work where they allow you to level up so fast in the beginning and, you know, curate the points and, uh, you know, even get, I've heard they also, I don't want to go into gaming nerd mode here, but um, <laughs> they'll, they'll minimize the health by a certain percentage of the people you're uh, playing with online in order to feel like you're doing something. Right. And that keeps you in, it keeps you locked in in the kind of the loop. Keeps you in the game. So I can definitely see the, the that's it. I can definitely see those psychological techniques being used here for people. And in a good way, it's not really a manipulative thing, um, but, but I, I do like it. Yeah. So happy that you brought that up and made me start thinking about that. Um, I swear you provided so much value here, Craig. Honestly, I feel like I'm robbing you by asking you so much information. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here. Because uh, I, yeah, it's great. I'll, I'll. Um, this is just another element as part of the process and structure and experience. Have you ever incorporated things such as like discussion forums, group projects, or a sense of community, but not actually building a community? Uh, for the course because I know some people just redirect them to a discord after that and keep that engagement between them but I was wondering if you've done any, anything like that in your previous courses within the course structure itself uh, not like formally within the course structure but I've had opportunities where people have gone through my programs and, and we've gotten together kind of uh, in an informal group setting in order to, to discuss what we're doing. So it's especially in, in terms of web development, you know, trying to help people understand large concepts and complex concepts that all need to be tied together. It often helps to have the, the ability of, of other people around to bounce questions off and, and to know, oh, yeah, I was thinking that too. Or how did you solve this problem and, and kind of did it in, in a different way? So Again, this comes down to scale. So it depends on kind of where you're at in your journey and what you're able to uh, make available for the people around you. 
that will sort of dictate the amount of interaction that, that you're able to provide for people. And so oftentimes we end up answering those questions through technology, through you know, Discord, Facebook groups, or whatever's available to us in order to, to, to make an experience that everybody can participate in. But if you have that opportunity to have those personal touch points, again, it's the feedback. It's the, the ability to, to, to see and to continue to prove to yourself that what you're doing is working with the people that you're working with. Um, that's really valuable for you as the course creator on top of what people get out of it as, as students. Thank you, Craig. Uh, so at the end of each episode, uh, I'd like to just give a quick tap into different things that you've spoken about just for people who attended late and they might want to go back and uh, check this episode out. It's recorded uh, for those of you who wish to. And we started by talking about building the course and determining like what makes a course worthy, what information should be in there, how do you validate these ideas uh, in your course, and how do you construct it for your audience? We went to talk about the material that should be in there and how to how it should resonate with your learners and maximizing those learning outcomes. We talked about how you curate it and package it in a convenient way. We talked about integrating elements that enhance the learning experience and maintaining that engagement through the, throughout the course. Then we moved on to talk about promoting the course. We talked about pricing. Uh, how it influences your sales and profitability and how you should put that. We talked about how you should, how, different ways you can promote your course. And we also talked about upselling as an option uh, that you can utilize as a, uh, as a good thing in your course and uh, using the loyalty to increase your revenue for your business as well. Then we moved on to post sales where we talked about reviews and, um, and feedback and how you should take that and enhancing the customer journey. Uh, and the customer experience post-course completion and understanding that there you have to keep staying up to date with your course, keeping it uh, fresh and in sync with new technologies, let's say. Uh, we talked about strategies to enhance that experience, gamification, extra formats, and fostering a sense of community. And that is only touching upon the surface. We, there was so much more covered that I definitely have missed out here. This has been an amazing episode. Uh, you did not hold back, Craig, <laughs> honestly. I'm super impressed. I think this is one of my... Uh, actually, I can't say this public. I might upset a few people, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I love it, man. I really love this episode. Seriously, there's so much uh, value you've given out here. And before we start to wrap up, I wanted to give you a moment to share any final thoughts you might have or promote anything. The floor is yours. Yeah, I, I honestly am uh, honored that everybody who's uh, here joining us today uh, came to, to hang out. And this has been an incredible experience for me. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if you'd like to, to follow along in the journey, please, uh, follow me on Twitter where I'm at Craig Shoemaker, um, tell a friend if you want. And also I host a podcast leverage three. We talked about it at the top of the show, um, where you get, have an opportunity to leverage the talent and tactics of high performers. And I, this is, this is a little strange and awesome for me because usually I'm the one asking the questions. Um, so it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun doing that, but I, I have, an incredible time getting a chance to to speak to and, and work with uh, a lot of people that come on the show so uh, if you have a chance please do check that out it would mean the world to me definitely check out craig's content and the podcast uh, i mean if you love this episode you should see the way he does his he's a master and someone years of experience much better than the way i'm handling it right no, now you're, you're uh, incredible so, thank you so much uh, i appreciate craig I learn from the best people like you. So I love your uh, podcast as well. 
Amazing. Uh, so definitely, uh, guys, check out the uh, episode with John. Uh, you can find the podcast uh, episodes in the link uh, in Craig's profile. So definitely check that out. And once again, I want to say thank you for joining me on here, Craig, and for all the great insights you've shared with us, your expertise, uh, and the way you've shed light on course creation and offered a refreshing perspective on this. It's It's been amazing. Like, I truly appreciate you coming on. I'm glad we finally got around to this episode. It's been in the making for, for a while. Do you want to tell the story uh, of how we met? So, <laughs> I'll, uh, I feel like you'll be a better storyteller than me, so I don't, and I don't want to butcher it. So I'll, I'll throw that one back at you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm doing this ridiculous writing project where uh, uh, Roeth Killer, Killer, I'm sure I'm messing up his last name, uh, a, a guest on the show, uh, he tweeted once an hour for seven days straight. And I, I saw this and I just thought, this is just insane. Okay, I need to do this now. And so I, I've, I've been chronicling on, on my feed about how it's taken me the last like 20 or so days to, to write 170 tweets, which doesn't count threads because I'm just counting them like as the hour thing. And so I finally finished writing all the 170 tweets and I'm going to be scheduling them out after I edit them up and, and everything uh, in the coming week or so. But I put that up there uh, and, and he, like, he DMs me. He's like, dude, this is so crazy. I have to be involved. Like, tell me all about what you're doing and how can we work together or whatever. Uh, and it was a, a ridiculously fun uh, DM to get. And uh, we started talking ever after that. So, um, yeah, it's a, a fun project that's that's given me the opportunity to meet a lot of uh, really cool new people. So I love it. Thanks for uh, sharing that. And you know what? I... I don't know how I was about to miss the opportunity to say this, but everyone should follow Craig and check out how he's going to do that because he hasn't started, right? Have you set a deadline yet, Craig, on this, by the way? No, I, I, I want to edit everything. I, I need to edit pass to make sure the spelling and grammar and, you know, hooks are good and all that kind of thing. And probably in the next week or two, I'll start scheduling it. I'll, I'll kind of kick it off with a, a video that talks about my process and how I went about it and, and all that fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's it's still coming. Yeah, definitely, guys, follow and uh, check that out when it, when he starts because I think that's a great learning experience. And I'll share a thought I shared with him in the DMs uh, from a, like a psychological perspective that can benefit uh, everyone here as well. That, definitely something that will benefit me benefited me the most, and it was an observation. Sometimes, right, we find content creation hard, and the it's because the minimum we've set for ourselves feels like the hardest level. So, say something like three tweets a day, or, or six tweets a day. Now. If you want to have appreciation for the level that you're at, set a new extreme difficult level, and then this new the level that you are currently at won't seem as bad any uh, anymore. So the way Craig's going about it, we're doing an extreme tweet every hour, and I think there'll be such a huge learning experience from it. And when when Craig returns to tweeting, um, I don't know if it was three or five tweets a day, it'll feel like nothing. And I think that's a great takeaway from the experiment he's doing. And I just wanted to share that thought with everyone here an observation because I found that to be something interesting and something that you, and a concept you can apply in uh, many domains in your life as well, not just content creation. Absolutely, yeah. You, you, and that part of that process was like, I, I was able to do more than I ever thought I was and obviously can't do it forever, but yeah, it, it speaks to the raising the bar and giving yourself an opportunity to, to give yourself permission to do something that you may not have thought was possible. This has been great, honestly. Um, uh, this is what this is a great way to end season two, and I'm super happy on how it went. Uh, th thanks again, Craig, for coming on. 
and sharing your insights with us. I really appreciate that. It's been amazing. And I also want to say that, once again, thank you, Craig, for coming on here. A big thank you to everyone who joined us live. Your presence and engagement makes these conversations more special. I want to thank everyone who's come up to ask us questions. And I'm super, super happy how we ended this season. Honestly, Craig, it was worth the wait and the hype to get to this point. Uh, <laughs> Thanks so much. It means the world to me. So everyone, make sure you follow uh, Craig. And if you want to keep up to date with new seasons that are coming out and more amazing guests that we have in line, be sure to follow uh, along. And yeah, uh, Craig, once again, thank you. And everyone, thank you here. I'll see you all in season three. Take Thanks care. Thanks all.